This podcast is an adaptation of the live radio broadcast of On Wisconsin, containing just the discussion segment. Next time, to catch the whole episode, tune in every Sunday at 3 p.m. on 91.7 FM Madison or streaming worldwide on WSUM.org. Thank you and enjoy. Yeah, so today we are interviewing one graduate student about the recent protests that have been happening around campus regarding Palestine. Um, So for some context and background around our conversation, after four weeks since Hamas's strike on Israel, over 10,000 Palestinians and around 1,400 Israelis have been killed. Israel declared war on Palestine after the militant group Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th. Hamas has controlled the Gaza Strip since 2007. According to the CIA, Gaza has a population of about 2 million, with almost 40% of the population being younger than 15 years old. According to Hamas, the aim of the attack was, quote, to free Palestinian prisoners, stop Israeli aggression on on Al-Aqsa Mosque, sorry, and to break the siege on Gaza, unquote. This attack was when roughly 1,400 Israelis were killed and hostages were taken. On October 9th, Israel... Israel cut off electricity, food, and fuel to Gaza. The reason and roots for this fighting is 75 years old, so started in 1948. Since the establishment of Israel 75 years ago, Israel has occupied Palestine land and displaced civilians. Israel previously controlled Gaza for 38 years, building 21 Jewish settlements. According to UN data, before October 7th, there was over 6,000 Palestinian and around 300 Israeli fatalities fatalities in the past 15 years. According to Israel's National Security Council chief, Israel's military will, quote, not only collapse Hamas military and governmental capabilities, but ensure that they will not be able to revive themselves afterwards, end quote. Residents of the Gaza Strip have been cut off from internet, cell phone, and landline telephone networks multiple times since October 7th. They face a shortage of basic resources, such as medical aid, fuel, and water. According to Gaza residents, they have no electricity and nowhere to flee. According to the the Committee to Protect Journalists, 39 journalists and media employees have been killed, 34 Palestinians, 4 Israeli, and 1 Lebanese. According to the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, the Gaza Strip's healthcare system is collapsing after Israel striked one of the main hospitals. The strike has caused around 1.5 million civilians to be internally displaced. The United States and UN officials have called for a humanitarian pause in order for basic supplies to be allowed into Gaza, but Israel rejected the pause. President Biden also called for humanitarian aid, but rejected a ceasefire. Some trucks of humanitarian aid were allowed to enter Gaza on October 21st. U.S. House House Republicans proposed a new bill that would send around $14 billion to support Israel in their attacks on Gaza. According to AP News, Israel's Israeli troops have continued to advance into the Gaza Strip. Few Palestinians have left Gaza, crossing into Egypt. Across the U.S., many protests have occurred, calling on the U.S. to stop funding to Israel and to call for a ceasefire. President Biden has made it clear that he supports Israel and does not intend on calling for a ceasefire. Thank you to the Washington Post, NPR, AP News, and Channel 3000 for contributing to this information. Today, we have one grad student here today to talk about the protests for Palestine. And before we begin, 
Yes, before we begin, the opinions expressed on this show do not reflect the views of WSUM, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or its Board of Regents. Yeah, so kind of to start off, um, if you're comfortable, why don't we start with names, pronouns, and is there anything that I missed in this background? Okay, yeah, hello. Um, My name is Angel Banuelos, and my pronouns are he, him. Um, I guess I just want to reiterate that the United States media has had a really strong focus on Hamas, but I want to reiterate that the violence in this situation started with the Nakba, also known as uh, it's Arabic for catastrophe, uh, which was where the establishment of the Israeli state over the top of Palestine um, displaced, forcibly, violently displaced hundreds of thousands Palestinians, pushing them out of their homes, and that a bulk of the people that live in Gaza now are either refugees from the Nakba in 1948 or the descendants of those refugees. Um, and just to clarify that Gaza has been under siege for the past 17 years, meaning that Israel controls everything that goes in and out of their borders, including people, including water, including electricity, including concrete, books, pencils, anything. Um, And that a lot of times the media has been watering down the protest demands to just being about ceasefire. But the full message at every protest that I've been to, including the one in Washington, D.C., has been for an end to the Israeli occupation of Palestine and end to uh, to the siege on Gaza. Yeah, that's great additional info. Thank you for that. Yeah, so... Um, what protests have you, you mentioned you went to the one in DC. Um, what, what were those like in general? Oh, it was huge. It was really huge. Um, and surrounded by all of the most kindest, thoughtful people you've ever met. Um, because what it is, is all these people have gathered here because they're horrified by the violence that we're seeing in the genocide on Gaza, um, and seeking to support, uh, the Palestinian resistance in ending the occupation. And had you been to any before October 7th? Oh, yeah. I have been protesting for Palestine for years. Um, My work here started in, well, my work in Madison specifically started when I was a first year grad student in 2021. um, And my department hosted a professor from Tel Aviv University at our colloquium, which is breaking of the boycott, divest, and sanctions policy, um, which says that we academically do not um, interact with professors from Israeli universities because that counts as uh, validating their state and their um, right to own academic spaces there. So, not necessarily protest on campus because it w- it's hard to get the campus community's engagement, to be honest, but that's when I started participating in protests um, in the community in Madison. Mm-hmm. So how, has, how have those events changed since October 7th? Since October 7th, I would say that there's been a lot more on campus specifically and that it's easier to get the students' attention on campus. Um, There is still a lot, a lot of silence, a lot of unexpected silence and uh, some hostility stoked, I think, especially by the media, which creates a lot of, uh, by the mainstream media right now, which creates a lot of misinformation um, and hostility among people that don't fully understand the situation because they don't have the full context. Yeah. Are you by chance a part of the Students for Justice in Palestine? Um, I don't know if I'm necessarily like a part of SJP yet. I have attended a couple of their meetings. 
Um, but the bulk of what we've been doing has been with folks that are not in SJP yet, especially because there wasn't a lot of, um, I haven't seen a lot from them during the time that I was on campus. So I've been working with more community members. Yeah. So how is, how, how have the on-campus protests been? I know Mm -hmm. there was just one, um, a couple days ago on Thursday, if I'm not wrong, at the Capitol. Thursday on the cap at the Capitol. That was a really great event. I thought it was a really great event because we had more people come out than we've had at all so far. I think it was over 100 people that were there with us. And what we decided to do um, was to take a break from marching, which has been our main means of protest so far, and instead take chalk and draw um, body outlines all over the concrete of the Capitol to symbolize the people that have been killed in Gaza. And of course, we couldn't get 10,000 body outlines, but hopefully um, it grants some clarification to people that these are not just people or these are not just numbers. They are people with names. We wrote their names in the body outlines um, from the list of murdered people that was put out by the Gaza Health Ministry, um, I think October 28th. So So I think recent events have brought a lot of people's attention to this for maybe the first time, but you said that you've been protesting for a while now. What was kind of the first reasoning that you had for getting involved with this? Sure, yeah. So I learned um, first about this situation really from um, black revolutionaries such as Malcolm X, Angela Davis, and Asada Shakur. And um, back then, like in the 1960s and 70s, it was common for um, United States revolutionary groups to stand with Palestine. And I think that there was um, a big sweep against that and a lot of education that was I mean, I don't know anybody that received a proper education about colonialism and the violence of colonialism in their K through 12 or even most people in college. Um, So I learned first from them. And then the SJP chapter at my college, I went to Kalamazoo College, was actually very active and very informative. They helped us learn about that. So that's when I started attending their protests. Um, This was probably like in 2018 or 2019. Um, So... What really drew my attention as to how this very directly affects me is that they test, well, first of all, they train U.S. police in Israel, as well as developing surveillance, military, and police technology. And I have a lot of family members that have been imprisoned. I grew up in a very heavily policed neighborhood in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, We've experienced police violence. I had the SWAT team, like, really raid our house. And, I mean, it was... It was my mother and myself and my two little siblings. We were all under 12 years old. And so when I um, when I see that they're training our police on Palestinian civilians to commit violence really against civilians, it really tears at my heart. And I know that my family will never be free until the Palestinian people are free. Um, Well, here's just a question. Um, What do you think the media coverage surrounding that has looked like and How do you think it's changed over time or how do you think it's changed since October 7th specifically? The media coverage has been really, really disappointing. I didn't ever see a lot about Palestine in the mainstream media before October 7th. Like, just to be honest, I think mainstream media in the United States really goes from one disaster to the next. Like, it's never really pulling up long term things. It's just kind of like very moment, like moment to moment. 
Um, and so it's not until most recently that I have been looking it up and kind of looking into the history of things. And um, I don't think the narrative has changed a whole lot in U.S. mainstream media. I mean, the one thing that I saw was that like even back in like 2014 at one of the one of the intifadas in 2012 2007 that they were putting out a lot of villainization for even people that took kind of like a both sides all lives matter type approach um and right now i think the media has been super duper focused on hamas and very little focused on the objective fact that israel has occupied palestine for the past 75 years um and also not pointing out that not only are they killing people in Gaza, they are killing people in the West Bank where there is no Hamas. Um, so I think that and also I've been interviewed a couple times at this point and the I was in, interviewed by NBC, for example, they left off every almost everything in my interview except a single sentence that was directly related to the Ben Shapiro event um, that we were protesting at. So that was pretty disappointing because they said that they wanted to hear both sides. Yeah, so do you want to talk a little more about the Ben Shapiro? So for context, Ben Shapiro was brought to campus. Um, By, I think, um, UW's, oh the, my gosh, what is it called? One of the Republican student orgs. The conservative. The um, youth the Young Americans for Freedom. Yes, yes. Young Americans and for Freedom. And it was, what, last Monday, last Tuesday? Yes, last and Monday. so there was counter-protests happening outside because usually Ben Shapiro goes around tra- traveling on campus to talk about, like, trans rights in a more anti-trans way, but his recent ones have been more about Palestine and Israel. And international conflicts in general. Like, if you see any of the ones he's talked about recently, he's been taking a really he's been taking a really opinionated approach to how he's discussing these like international conflicts in like student settings um so i think that ben the way that the ben shapiro talk went was very very reflective of what mainstream media has been putting out in terms of a total dehumanization of the people that live in palestine a total dehumanization of the people that live in gaza specifically um and putting out a lot of lies and a lot of propaganda which was really disappointing because i read on a paper before i came into this news broadcast that uh you can't just say lies like make sure the things that you're saying are backed up with facts and in his speech which he called putting out the truth he reiterated several lies that have been debunked even in mainstream media um and so I was really, really disappointed, not just at the dehumanizing speech that he put out, but at the amount of, because I went inside, I was actually a protester inside where we raised our hands with um, red paint on our hands to indicate that the speaker has blood on his hands for the hateful speech that he's putting out. Um, And it was our means of doing a peaceful protest in an environment that was supposedly, I guess, trying to cater to free speech. Um, And what was I going to say? Oh, like seeing people in there like cheering um basically about the genocide of people in Gaza and standing up and laughing and it was just it was really strange and it was really disheartening um to know that that's all around me when I wake up every day for the last 35 or 36 days and see dead children starving people like Gaza getting bombed um so 
yeah, it was really disheartening. It was really kind of, um, it makes my skin crawl to think of the, that type of cruelty. Yeah, and um, what do you think of kind of U.S. politicians' responses to this situation? U.S. politicians' response, they have been, ex- like, literally genocidal at worst and lukewarm at best. Um, I think that we have seen Biden even go so far as to doubt whether the death toll was real on on like national television or also when he um oh when he initially uh repeated the lie of the 40 beheaded babies and later had to, he literally said that he saw images of 40 beheaded that was a complete lie it was a lie they the white house had to recall that statement um and so i think that the speech of politicians here in the u.s um has been like basically um supporting genocide in gaza and you have even people that are really mild speaking out such as rashida talib um who's uh, in the house of representatives and literally all she said not even like a radical statement of like we should end the occupation but just the fact that we should not allow so many civilian deaths we should stand against so many civilian deaths and she's been censored for even saying that the basic humanization of palestinian people as the only palestinian american in the house of representatives um so i think that what we've seen from u.s politicians has been honestly horrifying yeah so i think Yeah, kind of going off of that, you know, we've had a lot of the protests be all about calling for a ceasefire. What more do you think that we should be, or that people protesting should be advocating for? I think that's a great question. And I mean, I know that there have been some protests um, that really, really focused on a ceasefire, such as um, I've seen some that from the Jewish Voices for Peace that have been like very completely focused on a ceasefire. Uh, But the majority of protests that I've been to have been not well they only get reported as calling for a ceasefire in the news i guess because they water it down um but i hope that people continue to call for the real liberation of the palestinian people like the more i read about the occupation on gaza and what that's like it's it's horrifying it's very upsetting i can't believe that we not only pay for Uh, Well, we not only support, but pay for people to be treated that way. Um, So I think that more attention should be brought to that. More attention should be brought to the fact that um, the the U.S.'s colonial projects is not just Israel colonizing Palestine. It is also um, trying to, you know, keeping the colony of Puerto Rico as a colony, keeping Hawaii um, as a state, basically a vacation state over the over the necks of the indigenous people that live there, um, also the U.S. territories in Guam. So uh, also, you know, you have the genocide that's happening in the Congo, the genocide that's happening in Sudan, and a lot of these are very U.S. military-fueled. And so what I hope to see from this is not just uh, a call for the liberation of the Palestinian people, but really um, to decrease funding and dismantle the U.S. military system um, everywhere in the world. Um, Well, here's a similar question to that. Do you think the media coverage of Palestine currently 
compared to the media coverage of policing in America and in other places around the world? Um, yes, I think so in some ways. Um, it's kind of been a really, it's been a kind of weird juxtaposition because I remember back during the Black Lives Matter movement, we were, um, we would even make fun of like a statement, like somebody putting out a statement and calling that like a radical, their radical stance. Um, but like something about the political atmosphere has changed very dramatically to where even speaking out about this or um, putting out a statement is considered the radical act. Um, I think that the same people that probably are okay with police killings in the United States are endorsing um, the killing of people in Gaza. You also see the flattening of the narrative all over again. So, for example, um, the calls during the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, against militarization of police in America, they went from defund the police to like basically reform the police and it ended up with more money going towards the police um and i think that we've seen a similar thing here with the calls for palestinian liberation being watered down from like end the occupation to just stop shooting just a ceasefire just both sides to stop shooting um and i think both of those were not very fair i think both of those both of the discourse on uh, policing in the United States and um, on the violence against people in Palestine dehumanizes, greatly dehumanizes the people that are um, suffering from that violence, whether it be the black people in the United States or uh, the Palestinians in Gaza. And we've seen, you know, I think of the march on, at DC, um, hundreds, tens or hundreds of thousands of people showed up to that, but then like you were saying, in government, um, representatives have been, there haven't, there hasn't really been a lot of that point of view represented in government. Why do you think that is? And what do you think, what are your hopes or wishes about kind of the future of policy on that? I have big, big hopes and wishes. I think that the reason why, um, the U.S. politicians don't are not really representative of um, our population's beliefs and views is because for the past, um, at least the entire time that I've been able to vote, the past three elections, um, we have been stuck in the process of voting for, like, the least worst candidate. Like, it's very openly about that, not, like, you know, in sometimes in locally, but especially when it comes to the presidential, to the Senate things, the House of Representatives. And um, it's just, like, this endless cycle of being, like, oh, please be the one that inflicts less violence on the population here and abroad. Um and what I hope to see is that people really take back their right to have a representative that represents what they mean and show them that we are not going to vote for the least worst candidate, that least worst candidate going to be the person that very openly supports and tries to fund genocide. Um, so I think that, you know, it's, it can be a little harder to convince people of those things like uh, on a presidential level, but it's a great start to start with our representatives and to say we will not support any representative that does not call for dismantling military aid to Israel. Yeah, so kind of jumping off of that for like outcomes, what you're hoping to see from representatives, 
I guess we know the we know that the end goal is to just end the occupation of Palestine, but what outcome are you hoping to see initially at a statewide level or at a national level, if that makes sense? It would be a huge big deal if even a single state said that they will no longer send tax money to Israel. Um, or even to lift the laws that currently outlaw boycotting, divesting, and sanctioning from Israel, because I think it's 36 or 37 states that have that law on the books um, that ban government organizations. Um, maybe businesses, don't quote me on that. I don't remember if it's businesses, but from uh, participating in boycott, divest, and sanction. Um, so that would be a big deal. It would be, be a, Like I said, it would be a big deal for even one state to deny funding um it would be a great great thing if even one state stood in solidarity with palestine i've seen a couple local local very local governments like for example in the bay area have put out um a statement in solidarity um but it would be a huge turn for the united states to stand with the palestinian people really at all and to acknowledge their right to the land as established by the united nations both in from 1948 when they gave them the right to return and since then when they've upheld the right to resist occupation. Kind of thinking more broadly, what do you wish people knew about this situation? I wish people knew um, honestly more about the idea of settler colonialism itself and that this is part of a much bigger process of stealing and really abusing the land after that in service of profits um that it it does link back to capitalism and that like i mean another thing is that like after after they're done with the palestinians whatever that looks like if we don't keep standing up they will move on to wherever they need to go next like the thing about capitalism and colonization is that it tries to build endless profits on a finite system and so wherever it swallows up it has to move on to the next place to swallow up so if they're thinking that they're not going to stand with palestine because they don't think it affects them oh you know one year two years ten years from now it might be affecting them uh the militarization of police is on the rise everywhere in the world and especially across the united states we see that for example with cop city in atlanta and the movements to try to build cop cities in other places in the united states um so i just wish more people knew that this very the very very directly affects them even if they don't necessarily care about the deaths of palestinian people they should care about how their rights are being infringed upon and that um freedom freedom is uh it's expansive right when the palestinian have people have freedom we will be lifting the bar for what justice looks like on this earth um like i said we can look towards freeing puerto rico we can look towards freeing the people in hawaii toward guam we can end the blockade on cuba and those would literally only bring goodness into the world all of those acts would only bring goodness into the world they would end cycles of violence and they would allow us to focus more of our resources on Booting, putting goodness in the United States and also giving land back to the Native Americans, um, you know, because this country was also built on genocide and settler colonialism. Yeah, what do you think is the most, in your opinion, the most harmful misinformation or most harmful narrative that's being spread right now? Oh, man, the most <laughs> harmful one. The or most one harmful of them. One. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that 
the very most harmful um, one that's being spread right now is that Israel has a quote-unquote right to defend itself from the quote-unquote military group of Hamas, which people just throw the entire Gaza into being Hamas, which makes room for carpet bombing and killing thousands and thousands and thousands of civilians and saying, but they were just trying to get Hamas, right? Um, I think that, like... That's a harmful narrative because literally, according to the United Nations, the Palestinian Israel doesn't have a right to defend itself because as the occupying state, it is in the offensive at all times. Um, and so I think that that narrative is really dangerous because you have people thinking it is like some type of equal match fight between two violent powers. And that's not the case at all. Like one of these powers is funded and backed by the world's superpowers of literally like the United States, the UK, France, Germany, while the other folks that you mean, you know, the resistance lives off children throwing stones at tanks. Um, that's where it begins. And they are literally just trying to do their best to keep their civilization alive. Um, so I think that it's a really dangerous narrative to compare the two as if they're equal powers. Yeah, that also kind of goes back to at the beginning, how you were talking about how like, Israel is the one that currently controls whether or not like Palestine has like electricity, water, basic rights. So I think that's a good reflection as to those unbalanced powers. So before we wrap up today, is there any like last notes you'd like to add? Anything you'd like to say at all? Um, a couple, a couple things, probably yeah. if I can, please. Yeah, thank of course. You. Thank you for having me on today. Um, thank you for making the room for this. I hope that your radio station makes more room for it because I think it's a really important. I think hope I hope more people join on because stopping genocide is a group project and it's really hard when only if like some of us are pulling the weight. Um, I think that the United States should completely end military funding to um, Israel. And then I also think like, I think it's really important to watch out for the dehumanizing narrative. So for the example, one of the main things that's been being pushed is that Hamas uses Palestinians in Gaza as human shields. And I think that that is a, first of all, very racist and dehumanizing narrative because you're assuming that, first of all, this military group just appeared up in a vacuum just to hate Israel. Second of all, the fact that these people that live in Gaza, you're assuming that they don't have families, that they don't have friends, that they don't care for their people as much as any one of us does. And that's really scary that people would think that of other human beings, especially of two million human beings. Um, so... Yeah, uh, maybe another one is that the most common age of those killed in Gaza so far has been five years old. Um, it's reaching really, really horrifying heights. When I remember uh, when they f bombed the first hospital, like early in October, we held an emergency protest. And since then, they've gone on to bomb hospitals, schools, churches, uh, up to today where they're doing a invasion and a barricade around the Al-Shifa hospital um, where at this point the ICU patients are dead, the babies that were in the, in the NICU are dead because they've, like you said, had electricity and fuel and water, food cut off for so long. Um, so I guess the final thing is just like people, if you can, like read Palestinian narratives, read their books, don't just watch their stories on Instagram, but read the longer stuff um, to really whatever it takes to build in your heart the fact that these are people just as much as they're as we are people um and that their liberation will also be liberation for all of us
Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I yeah, really thank you. Been such a important discussion to have. Um. Oh, sorry. No, it's okay. There was one yeah. last question here saying that some of the protests have been uh, called anti-Semitic. Can I address that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Um, that is also a very harmful narrative because the concept of Zionism is completely separate. I know that it's based on a Jewish ethnostate, but it does not call in all Jewish people into being part of that and in fact the i learned about this from one of my friends who was a jewish person that taught me about this um and when you conflate being anti-zionist with anti-semitic um it that also is a really harmful narrative that really stops us from calling for justice for palestine i think that i also grew up learning about the holocaust as one of the most horrible things that ever happened and it would be a huge disservice to those stories to say that that allows for a israel to commit genocide instead of saying that genocide should never happen um, so, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for answering that question. Sorry, I forgot about it. Um, yeah, thank you again for coming on the show today. And thanks for listening to On Wisconsin, news reported by Badgers for the rest of Wisconsin. I'm Lexi Spevacek. I'm Hika Shivkumar. And I'm Ray Kirsch. Thanks again and tune in next week.